0: today we're here with Elizabeth Morrill, who vlogs over at Simple of Tender, and she helps families find the joy in simpler living, as well as providing um, easy homeschooling activities to help make homeschooling easier. And today we're here to talk to her about her journey into finding Simplicity, and also about all of the different countries and places that she's lived and what that has taught her. So Elizabeth, can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, how you ended up where you are today.
1: Um, so good to talk to you, Vanessa. Um, it's just really fun to get to, to meet you. So thank you so much for having me here today. Thanks um, for being here. So we live here in Guatemala. We moved here about a year ago. Uh, my husband is a foreign service officer, so he works for the US State Department and was posted here at the US Embassy in Guatemala. This is our, let's see. <laughs> Uh, This is our third overseas tour as a family, Um, and I think it's our seventh posting altogether. I lose count because there's all these short ones and that, you know, when does it it start to count? How long do you have to live in a place before you say you are staying there versus living there? Um, But before this, we were in Boston for two years, and before that, we were in Bogota, Colombia. We were in DC for a little while while he went to Afghanistan. Before that was Bosnia, Herzegovina, and then he also did a tour in Pakistan before that, um, so it's been a lot of fun. And we were, we went to Boston before this because I thought I wanted to go back to the US, start to put down some roots. I wanted to work, um, and we made all these plans to accept a domestic tour um, before I got pregnant with my first child, and. When that baby came along, and we were back in Boston, and I'm an ER nurse, and I was working, you know, 12-hour shifts or more with an hour commute on each end, you know, overnight shifts with the baby, um, I got over that real fast. <laughs> it was a great job and I loved it, um, but it was definitely difficult for that season of life, especially with childcare. And then things really came to a head when her daycare um, was shut down. It was just one of those crazy drama stories where it turns out her teacher had been giving Benadryl to the kids to make them nap, and it had been going on for months, and the director had been covering it up, and it was this just huge crisis, we were there without family, so how do we, like, what do we do, so we managed to switch things around, I changed my nursing schedule, so I was working weekends only, and I was home with her during the week, um, and I started homeschooling, And just because I needed something to do with her, since she wasn't going to school anymore, it was just too expensive, especially with the reduction in my nursing hours. Um, And it was awesome. Like all of a sudden the fog lifted, we had family time, we were having family meals again. I realized that I loved the working part-time and being home with my kid, like that was the right balance for us. And um, we started talking and we said, you know what, I don't think we're done being overseas. I think it's time to go back. So We've been on Guatemala, it was our first choice, and we moved here a year ago, and it has been awesome. I love it here. That's amazing. So
0: with all of that moving around and living in different places, were you able to kind of immerse yourself in those cultures, or are you living in, like, expat communities, so you sort of have your American culture with that? What does that look like?
1: So it's really shifted over the years. the first time, so I, you know, except for study abroad in college, I think the first time I was really truly immersed was uh, when we were in Bosnia, and I was actually there. That's where I met my husband. So I was there on my own. I was teaching at one of the local universities uh, on a fellowship, and I wanted to be a hundred percent immersed. I didn't want to have any American friends. I didn't want connection with the, the embassy. Um, I remember there. I just remember this. It sticks out in my head that there was a a local like five K event that I decided to participate in. And it was hosted at the, the home, that was our starting point of an embassy family. And I remember going in, and I went to their bathroom to wash my hands, and they had like bath and bodywork soap. And I was like, what are they doing? We're in Bosnia, why do you need these American products? And I just remember thinking, like what's the point of living overseas if, if you're gonna, you know, like have this pocket of, of home in your house? All right, so that was 10 years ago. <laughs> And I can tell you that I may not have Bath & Body Works soap in my my bathroom right now, but I definitely have Cholula hot sauce in my fridge and I hoard Ghirardelli chocolate chips in my suitcase when I come back. Because I will say that having lived the majority of my adult life in different countries, and not just one country, but moving around frequently, it's a lot. (laughs) And and I love it and I I wouldn't give this up for the world, um, but when you spend all day, speaking a language that's not your first language, navigating healthcare for your kids in a foreign language, trying to figure out um, schools, uh, the play dates, you know, all the cultural nuances, it, it's overwhelming. And it's really nice to it kind of intentionally choose how to make it work for your family. So we can go out and we can be hardcore adventurers all day long and it's kind of nice to come home and make a familiar comforting food and that kind of recharges us. So that we can go back out the next day. So, with the benefit of time, I've learned that it's okay to have that balance and to not forget. Like, oh yeah, we are Americans, and we do have our cultural history and our our um, uh, our own backgrounds that we bring to this. And it's okay to have both, even overseas. It doesn't mean that we're bad expats. It doesn't mean that we're not making the most of this opportunity. I would argue that by you know playing with that balance, it's big. It makes it easier uh, for us to really jump into the local culture because we had that energy
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense i did an internship in haiti in college and i asked her is there anything you want me to bring and she said cheese and chocolate and i was like that's so random i was expecting like toys for the kids coloring books no cheese and chocolate and we got there and the first thing they made were nachos and then they made like chocolate chip cookies and at the time i didn't really get it but you're right you need those comforts to make you feel like Okay, I'm in my safe place. I'm in my, I don't know, like little little pieces of home. So do you speak those other languages now or how do you learn to communicate in places?
1: It? So it's, all, it's really important to me that um, we do our best to learn the local language wherever we are. I think it's a sign of respect. Uh, we're visitors in these countries um, and we can't expect those that we meet to speak English or to accommodate us. We're here to learn from them. Um, Easier said than done. <laughs> I, I do not have a, a natural gift with languages at all. Um, I've been studying Spanish now for 10 years. This is the second time I've lived in a Spanish speaking country and, and I'm pretty good. I, I get by, I, I can go out there and I, I don't need a translator for, for tours or anything like that. Um, but I am not fluent. And that has been a humbling experience to say the least, just to, to work at it for so long and still feel that struggle. But at the same time, I think it's, I think it was really good for me, you know, I grew up very privileged. I had all these opportunities. I was always used to being like the smart kid in class. And then I remember living in, I did it before my kids were born. Um, I I spent six weeks in Medellin, Colombia, working in an ER there in a community hospital. And there's nobody who spoke English, not the patients, not the doctors, not the nurses. And I was a very young nurse, like just out of nursing school. So we had the language, and then we had this huge cultural divide because this was a small rural hospital and I have never felt like uh, more stupid in my entire life. Like not only was I learning the procedures and, and just, you know, like trying to get my, my nursing chops, but I, I mean, they would have to explain like the basic language. I didn't know the medications. Oh, it was so humbling. So that has just, I, I always remember that when I meet somebody both here abroad or when I'm back home, who doesn't speak my language or I don't speak their language, that just because we can't communicate, that is not a sign of intelligence and mm-hmm. It just, you know, it has helped me remember just what it feels like to struggle.
0: Right, right. And I think a lot of times we live that with that assumption that, well, they don't speak the language because they don't want to. And it's hard, it's hard to learn a new language. And then you come with all this knowledge and it doesn't apply anymore. So I think you're you're definitely right. That's, yeah, having experiences like that, put you in your place and help you understand people a lot better. Is there anything else you feel like you've learned from living abroad or from all of these experiences in different countries?
1: Um, it's it's certainly and like I'm trying not to be political. Um, it when you watch U.S. news, it certainly is different um, to read about issues like immigration when you are living in a country where a lot of this originates from. It gives you a different perspective. Um, I think it's made it maybe more compassionate and understanding you, when you can actually see on the ground like the issues that people are dealing with. It's not just on the TV screen at home. Um, you can really see how people live, how it's much of our lives is just the, a lottery of geography. Um, so that, that is something I've learned.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. What, what does it look like
1: on the ground in Guatemala? What have you learned about the culture and life in Guatemala? Um, it is a beautiful country and I highly recommend that if you ever have the opportunity to come visit, um, it, is, it is worth the trip. Um, so we live in Guatemala City, which is, you know, a typical Latin American city with lots of traffic and, and you know, um, people. Um, but it, there's, poverty is a serious issue. And as soon as you're out of the city, the quality of living, um, like for example, we just a couple of weeks ago, were driving around the country, not that far. And we were just driving through a town, your average everyday town. And there was the community uh, wash station where all the women had their clothes and were washing their clothes for the week. So just, you know, nine or 10 women. So like running water isn't, isn't a guarantee. We don't have potable water even in our house, which is in the nicest part of the city. We can't drink the water. Um, so there's definitely some shifts and, and the standard of living is, is certainly different, um, for the local population, but at the same time, it's gorgeous. There's so much culture, so much history. Uh, this is, I think of all the places I visited or lived, I think the, the people here are the most welcoming, um, and kind that I have ever encountered. Um, so that has just made it a really fun place to live. And I I just, it's just so cool because I remember... A couple of months ago we went to go visit a local um Mayan site some old some ruins and I was there with my baby in the the carrier um and my you know my four-year-old was running around and I'm sitting there holding the baby and a woman comes over an older woman in traditional dress and she doesn't speak Spanish she doesn't speak English I don't I did not speak her uh um, traditional language and she just kind of gestures towards the baby and I'm like, oh yeah, the baby. And she reaches over and she pulls the baby out of the carrier. And I'm like, okay, she wants to hold the baby. And then she turns and she walks out of the museum with the baby. And, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, you know, in the, in America or even a lot of other industrialized countries, I would start to freak out. But uh, right. A, we're in such a small place. Like this is not a fancy museum. This is a one room place on a Mayan site. So she couldn't go far. And second, I just, you know, like, It's different here. I I knew that this was not a a nefarious intent. And yeah, she was outside. She just wanted to show my baby to all of her family who was like having a picnic. They're just passing the baby around. I took one of their babies as, you know, ransom just in case. Um, But we hung out and we like held babies and we took pictures and, you know, we chatted as best we could. And and that is what our interactions look like here.
0: That's so beautiful though.
1: (laughs) And the fact that
0: you can trust people that you don't even really know but you know, she's not trying to do anything to harm me. She's not taking my baby and kidnapping yeah. it. She's just yeah. going to show her family. <laughs> That's so cool.
1: And I, I, I do know that um, this is actually a topic that comes up a lot with our expat community because we, we often do stand out. You know, we look different. We, you know, we often speak a different language when we're in town. Um, and so, I it does come up a lot how do you feel when somebody comes up to touch your kids? And there are, I know there are some expats who, who feel very strongly about protecting their kids' privacy and safety, and that is okay, and I, I'm not trying to, because I know there probably are other expats who might listen to this and say, nope, not, not for me. <clears throat> that's, that's okay, and, I, and there are days where I have a mood. I know my kid is sick or cranky or tired, and I'm like, I'm sorry, not today, and that, that's all right. But I do try to, when everybody's in the right frame of mind, to, to be open to these moments and, and let them happen. It works for us.
0: What do you think that has shown your kids? Or what do you think that has taught them?
1: So, one thing, if they take nothing else away from their time, our time overseas, because they're really little, they're four and one right now, <clears throat> I, I want them to not be afraid of people who don't look or sound like them. Um, I want diversity to be such a part of their lives that you know, sure they can notice and it certainly comes up. Like my four year old has started asking questions or she'll use um, physical appearance to like indicate who she's talking about at the pool or the playground or something like that. Um, So it's not that I don't want her to notice it but I don't want it to be something to goggle at or something to feel Mm -hmm. weird about. So that's what I really hope above all that they take from this, that they are part of a larger world and what my kids look like is not the only way um and that people who look differently they aren't weird you know yeah right and i
0: think that's normal in kids because they they're just noticing like it's just for them it's like saying well she has a blue shirt it's, my son will do that all the time the brown sarah the white sarah and there's a little part of me that's like oh but he's he's just describing what he's talking about <laughs> so i don't think I think it's when we tell them, you can't say that. You can't. That's when it starts getting like, oh, why? I'm just, yeah. So. I've, had to,
1: I've, I've had to do some deep examination about that exact issue with my own self. And I'm like, well, why does this bother me so much when she points at a kid and she's like, oh, that kid has hair like so-and-so. Or, you know, um, or I'm like, Who oh, did you make a new friend? She's like, yeah, the brown one over there. And uh, coming from where I come from with my background and we're not supposed to say those things. And I have to kind of, Think about what this means—intent um, versus uh, perception—and how do we be kind while also being honest? So I do not have all the answers, but that is a topic that I think about a lot. And I and I, yeah. You know, and how can a white woman necessarily uh, like know how to teach that? Because I haven't necessarily lived the the other side of it. So yeah. it's something I'm still working on. And Me too. (laughs) But
0: I think until you're in these experiences when you're confronted with it and you have to think about it that's when it's suddenly like oh what I learned doesn't work here so yeah so but that's good that you're exploring that and that's part of part of the adventure. (laughs) So besides um, homeschooling in Guatemala what does that look like? What do you guys do for homeschool?
1: So it's an ever-evolving thing, and we kind of go back and forth. And just last month, I actually put my daughter into—we um, like it was not the plan, but we stumbled across a Montessori Spanish immersion preschool three minutes from our house. And it was one of those moments. I was like, I had I had the homeschool curriculum. I have everything ready to go. And this is like our dirty homeschool speaker that my kid goes to a regular school. <laughs> um, but it was one of those opportunities where we're overseas, there's a chance for her to learn Spanish and have a, like this Montessori education that I really love. And we have ducks and bunnies in the playground running around. I was like, oh, and then, and I told them, I'm like, we, we, I found out about it because um, <clears throat> they were having a summer camp. And so we were there for summer camp. And, um, and at the end of it, they're like, yeah, we just have this brand new pre-K classroom. We just built it. I'm like, oh, well, that's really nice. She's like, oh, and the ducks will be delivered on Monday. And I'm like, oh, that's really nice. And she goes, and I hear you're homeschooling. Will you bring in your curriculum? We were thinking about integrating it into our program. And I was like, well, then what am I doing at home? (laughs) So right now what we're doing is we do a morning basket every day. um, And I come, I I have a music, I have um, Spanish, I have picture books, we have a mindfulness education that we're using in conjunction with the, the Torchlight Pre-K curriculum, which is excellent. So we do that every morning for about, oh, it's very relaxed. It's like 45 minutes. It's it's playtime. It's reading books and hanging out. And it's like one of the best parts of our day. And then in the afternoon, we have um, some more read alouds that are a little more challenging. And it's just book time, you know, it's hanging out. And um, I've pulled these from some other curriculum that, that, I, that I have on hand. And then in the afternoon, um we do science experiments art projects nature walks and it is it is a curriculum i sit down every week and i plan my my week out we have a weekly theme um i make sure we're hitting all the things that are important to us in terms of education art music um nature time science uh stem so we have all those incorporated and but it's not it it's not sitting down at a table and doing worksheets. It's for me, it's less homeschool is the easiest term for it. But what it really is, is a way for us to connect and spend time together and for them to explore. And there's nothing better than watching your kids face light up when they're like creating a terrarium for a pet snail they met outside. Um, So for me, it's really, really fun. And that is keeping the spirit of what we wanted for the kids education which was exploration and family time and connection and homeschooling or whatever you wanna call it, unschooling, world schooling, after schooling. Labels aside, it is a way for us to connect as a family and to just participate more deeply uh, with each other in the world.
0: I love that. I wanna sign up. <laughs> I wish I oh, really. could fill it down
1: into catchphrase but I, I don't know and we're having a lot of fun
0: that's good that's good and really that's what especially at this age that's what school should be but a lot of times we get still caught up in what well, they have to get ready for school and they have to read and they have to write and what they need at that age is connection and exploration so that's that's a wonderful way to do that how has living in Guatemala helped you you talk a lot about um finding the joy in simpler living how has it helped you do that
1: So we made a pretty radical shift this year. Um, As I said, I'm a nurse um, and I love nursing. I love working with patients. And after we moved here, I I was offered a nursing job and it was like the unicorn in the hayfield, whatever whatever the expression is. Um, And it was great. It was this great nursing job. And as I was waiting for, there's a lot of paperwork for these things when you're overseas. So as I was waiting for it to start, I was doing these learning activities. Um, I started writing a book that I had always had in my heart that I wanted to get down, but now I had the time to do it. Um, so I was I was doing these personal projects, um, were able to afford full-time help here. And that gives me the space to, you know, to take a couple of hours for my own projects. Um, and as the weeks went on, and then it turned into a couple of months while they were waiting for all the paperwork to be processed, I realized that I was really happy. And I, I didn't know how adding this nursing job in Uh, Was going to increase that happiness it would add money in the bank account and it would keep my resume filled But it that was about it Um, So I decided to to walk away from it and that is was a really really difficult choice because these these opportunities Professionally don't come up very often overseas. It's one of the hardest things about being what we call a trailing spouse we were following some, our, our spouses overseas for their work, often our own professional careers kind of lag behind because you're constantly starting over. So it was really hard to walk away from that. But that was when I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to work on this blog. I'm going to work on my book. We're going to start homeschooling. Um, I sat down, we wrote as a family, uh, we came up with a family motto, family values. We wrote sort of like an educational manifesto, what we wanted our kids to learn and what we wanted them to have experienced by the time they leave our house at 17, 18, 19, whenever the time may be. So it was a a time of really deep introspection and creating a family culture. So that way, when opportunities, for example, like this bilingual uh, Montessori preschool came up this fall, we could assess it against these values that we had already established and be like, yeah, this totally supports what we're trying to do. So it was, it, 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 was a wonderful opportunity. Um, I have never waffled so hard in my life. I, <laughs> so many pros and cons lists. And it's, it's funny now because I, I have zero regrets. I, it was absolutely the right choice. But I remember at the time it felt like life or death turning down the traditional professional path for this kind of artsy family hippie thing. Um, but you know what, I don't know how long we're going to be overseas. I don't know how long we're going to be able to have, uh, to be so lucky to have help at home with the kids that frees up this time. So we're just gonna make the most of it for as long as we can.
0: That's great. So you really just got to define like who you are as a family and what you want out of family life, which yeah, mm-hmm. it's something not a lot of us take the time to think about. So what the, I feel like a lot of times our identity gets wrapped up in our jobs. Like I am a nurse, I am a teacher. I am with, it. with that part of the waffling between do I walk away or do I that, was it kind of giving up?
1: Oh, sure. What will I what will I talk about at um, like college reunions if I can't say this is my career, this is what I've made of myself? Um, especially for I think a lot of us who were ambitious and worked really hard to get the degree and the you know, you we took the SAT classes and I, we did. My husband and I. We did everything we were supposed to do. We did college. We did grad school. We did fellowships. Um, you know, we got the house and the mortgage. Like we followed the path that was laid out for us, and there we were in Boston, uh, both working full time in the jobs that we had been working towards our whole lives, um, in the specialties we wanted, and you know, we had the kids in the house and the two cars. We were we were <laughs> pretty miserable. We were exhausted. We never had time for family stuff. We were so busy working every morning was like, I would wake up um, after like four or five hours of sleep because I was working the evening shift and I still had a kid who was waking up at you know six if I was lucky and I would wake up and I'd be like, Oh, please don't let her have a fever. How will I cover my shift instead of how will I take care of my kid? Right. Um, it was just every day was a struggle of trying to figure out who was going to pick up from daycare. And we, and even when we had a day off, I would just remember sitting the first time that I was able to take my daughter to the park and actually play with her instead of like sitting there with my enormous Starbucks and like nodding off on the park bench. And this was after I had changed my, my schedule. Like that was a big eye opener to me as I realized I had just been going through the motions and I wasn't enjoying all these things that I had on paper. Like I was doing it. I was, I had arrived, like we were there and I didn't, it did not feel that way.
0: That's great that you were able to step back and see like, nope, this is not what I want and I'm going to make a change. Yeah. So what would you say to other people who are, let's say, in your situation where they feel like this is not the life I signed up for, but I don't know what to do. What would you say?
1: I would really encourage um, families to take the time to come up with uh, a set of their own family values. Um, Sit down and think about what really matters to us? Is it travel? Is it um, our religion? Is it um, engaging with the outdoors and nature? You know, what, is, what are the moments in our lives that we look forward to and we feel most like us? Um, you know, you come up with those lists. And then the other thing that I found really helpful is I spent a lot of time journaling about what would my ideal day look like? And you know, money aside, jobs aside, well, what would I do? Who would I be with? What are the activities that I would do? and as I built this out and I, you know, it wasn't a one-time thing. It's something that you, you go back to over the course of days and months. I realized like, well, I could have that life. Like, why can't I do that? You know, we're going to have to readjust a few things. We can't do the fancy vacations anymore with, with just one income. Um, we've had to cut back on some of the uh, um, extra purchases to make it work, but we can't have that life where we're together and we have family dinners every night and we can like, Pick off and go to a museum or in, you know, the nature park whenever we want. So that's what helped me was spending that time to come up with what we wanted and, and, you know, what were ways we could get there. That's great. That's great advice. Thank you. Well,
0: thank you very much for taking your time to talk with us and share about your life. Is there anything else you want to add about how you and your family are embracing diversity in everyday life?
1: Um... Well, I just, you know, we're, the foreign service life is so transitory. We're always in a state of transition. We're already thinking about um, where to next. We have two years left here, but we'll start bidding on our next post um, next year. So we're already thinking like where to next and and how are we going to make that work? Um, So it's exciting. I don't know what our family life will look like next, especially if we're in a place where, you know, we need two incomes. I don't know. I don't know. But the one thing I have learned and that I think, I, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever be able to forget is what it feels like to be living in alignment with our values. And I don't think I could ever go back to working just to work, um, sending my kids to school just because that's what we're supposed to do. Um, we, you know, the choices we make moving forward, I feel confident will be uh, intentional ones. And so that's just what I hope for other families too, that they'll find ways to create a family life that is in in accordance with their own values. That is, I'm going to write that on a t-shirt somewhere. That's beautiful.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I will post down below how you can, or what's the link of how you can find Elizabeth and her blog and find out more about her homeschooling tips. And thank you very much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks Vanessa. Bye. Bye.
2: This conversation left me wanting to pack my bags and move to Guatemala to become Elizabeth's next-door neighbor, but I realized that the part of our conversation that was most attractive to me was the fact that instead of just going through the motions of life, she and her family took the time to figure out what was most important for them, and to live a life that is in alignment with their values. And that is something all of us can do, regardless of what our lives look like, regardless of where we're at right now, we can decide to live a life that aligns with what matters most to us. And to help us do that, I took some of the questions that Elizabeth mentioned and added some additional questions to help us reflect and figure out what matters most to us as people, what matters most to us as families, And then set up our lives in a way that aligns with those values. And obviously for most of us, one of those values is embracing diversity in other cultures and teaching our children to be empathetic, accepting children. But what else? And how do we make that happen? So I encourage you to click on the link below to download that worksheet and go through and take the time to reflect on what it is that matters most to you. I would also encourage you to check out Elizabeth's blog so that you can learn more about her adventures in Guatemala and homeschooling and learning to live a simpler, more joyful life together. Thank you for joining us, and we can't wait to see you again next time.